Welcome to The Voice of Business, the official podcast of the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii presented by Ultras. I'm your host, Katie Ka'ahanui, and welcome back for another episode in our Mental Health Awareness mini-series podcast. I am so delighted to have Nancy Creeman with me today, the CEO of the Domestic Violence Action Center. We'll be talking more about the mental health implications from domestic violence and additionally, how we can begin to normalize discussions about domestic violence awareness and prevention within our business community. Nancy, thank you so much for joining me today. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a conversation the community really needs to hear and uh, join with us in. Absolutely, I agree. And Nancy, you've been involved in the important work of domestic violence prevention here in Hawaii for 40 years nearly, and you've established what was formerly called the Domestic Violence Clearinghouse and Legal Hotline, later rebranded to DVAC. And to get back to the moments where this all began for you, I'm curious to know about the moments or the experiences that you had that made you realize that this was a calling for you. I am one of the few lucky women that I know who has not been a victim of child abuse or partner abuse or sexual violence. So it was more a series of opportunities that presented uh, themselves to me as I began um, as a young uh, feminist in my career uh, in the social service and communications um, business. I have a communications degree uh, and a graduate degree in communications. Um, I was working at a shelter uh, here, the first and only shelter here in the 1970s. Uh, I worked the weekend shift from Friday night to Sunday night. And I spent a lot of time with uh, uh, residents and their children. And a couple of things uh, transpired over the weekends. One was women would wake up on um, Sunday morning, very excited about the prospect of uh, finding a new place to live and uh, being uh, safe uh, with their children in their new home. They'd come back at the end of the day, and um, they were pretty uh, deflated. The cost of rents, the transportation, the need to make a huge adjustment was just uh, overwhelming, and they would pack and go home. And that made me very anxious, and I started thinking, well, their abuser hasn't changed over the weekend. So um, maybe if we could provide some community services for um, partners uh, to change their behavior, uh, that would be helpful for families. So we wrote a small grant and started the first program for, um, I'm going to say uh, men are abusers and women are victims, just for our podcast. It's easier for the, this, the conversation. Generally, we absolutely accept that uh, men can be victims as well. But we started the first men's program uh, for abusers called Komomai and uh, began having the community conversation. And then from that moment, more doors started opening and more um, people were leaning into the conversation. And I thought, oh, I think I'm a messenger. Uh, I'm being invited to speak. I'm... Uh, provided with opportunities to think through what the community might do in response to domestic violence. And after a few years, I thought, I am going to continue on this path. And here I am. I think when the work comes easily to you and you feel supported easily, I think you know that that's something that you have to continue pursuing. And I think that your work is a prime example of that. So thank you for sharing that. 
And one thing that we agreed with right off the bat is that domestic violence as it pertains to the workplace is something that is not nearly talked about as much as it should be. And it's long overdue because so many of these people spend a third or more of their days at work and they, we have no idea what they go home to. And so I think that the workplace is a prime area that we can train our executives and our staff to be mindful of each other, um, just to be able to help people if they're too afraid to reach out for resources. And I think you feel the exact same. I do. Um, domestic violence goes with victims to work. Um, it interferes with the person's um, ability to uh, be productive and be present at their work. It is also the place where abusers know their partner is, so it creates a risk for workplaces and employers as well. Um, but mostly, if we create a supportive uh, workplace environment, it is potentially creating a pathway for support and um, decision-making that uh, is in the best interest of the community as a whole and the family in particular. So we want our uh, businesses and employers, supervisors and HR professionals to understand what domestic violence may look like in their workforce and what they can do to create a supportive workplace environment. Exactly. And it's, it's just a fact that a lot of domestic violence cases can easily go unreported, unseen and just unaddressed properly, especially during the pandemic and even post-pandemic. And so while there's a high number of survivors who are getting the proper help that they need, whether it's through support groups or shelters and whatnot, there's also a large demographic who are not utilizing those resources, who are going to work every day and living otherwise completely normal lives. And so I agree with you that we can step in as the business community, folks who are with these people for a good chunk of their day um, to recognize signs, be proactive on sharing resources and support, and being a pillar of support and change for our communities. And so Thank you for sharing that. And I was reading a study um, about how approximately one in four women and one in nine men in, in the U.S. have experienced physical violence, rape, and or stalking by an intimate partner in their lifetime. That is a lot of people. And I think here locally, um, that's a lot of people who may not be open about sharing that this is their experience. Um, for you, Nancy, what are some things that employers should be on the lookout for when it comes to potentially noticing that a staff member might be experiencing this at home? I think the first thing I want to remind us is it's a very difficult thing to share. Uh, people don't uh, willingly volunteer information about the intimate details of their family life or their partnerships and relationships. So... We have to um, dispel the notion that people will come to work and confide in their supervisor or go to HR and uh, reveal that they need some help, which is why it's so important, as you mentioned, um, that employers start to look for or name the red flags that they're seeing. Um, it's very embarrassing to be a victim of domestic violence. There are still so many judgments by the community that somehow maybe she did something to provoke it or she didn't do something to stop it or she should have done something that would put her in a better position. She's not protecting her children sufficiently. What we forget is when people make a commitment to a relationship or to a family, 
they try to make good on that commitment and they stay in the relationship and try to make it work. And people have a lot of hope um, for change. So we have to set aside the judgments that we have about people who might be in a relationship where there's domestic violence. We also have to recognize that the system isn't set up um, as effectively as it might be. And it's hard to access and it doesn't always work. And so a person may have taken one small step and not been met with a responsive, helpful ally that they reached out to. Um, maybe it was a police or healthcare provider or a former uh, supervisor who um, really didn't want to talk about it or was frightened to hear about it because they didn't really know what the appropriate response was. Um, but the opportunity to keep educating ourselves is always there. Um, and our work at the community level is to try to improve the system so that when people are finally um, uh, feeling the courage and um, recognizing their own risk and their own danger, they will reach out and the system will be responsive. Um, so what would a person be looking for? Um, if um, a person is receiving, I don't know, 40 phone calls a day from their partner, that would be a red flag. If their partner is not permitting them to participate in um, company events or uh, holiday celebrations that they might have participated in previously, that could be a red flag. If their partner is dropping them off and picking them up without any opportunity for there to be a change. I mean, obviously, sometimes people just share a car, but sometimes that's a way of controlling their partner's uh, communication with others, their um, personal decision-making about going uh, to participate in a, um, an event or a happy hour or something with uh, colleagues. Um, maybe the partner shows up unannounced. Uh, at the workplace to just make sure that she is where she says she is or that uh, she can be seen um, and she can be reminded by him that he's watching her. So if a HR professional or a supervisor or a coworker even suspects that something is going on, um, if they have the tools and the permission to approach their coworker, they could just say, everybody doesn't have to be an expert mm -hmm. about domestic violence, but they could say, you know, I'm concerned about you. Seems like um, things have changed since you started dating this new person or since you got married. Um, are you all right? I want you to know that I'm, I'm an ally. I, am, um, uh, I want to support you. Everyone has to remind themselves to listen with an open heart and be willing to stand by somebody when they feel ambivalent about the choices that they're making. Each of us is on a different place on our own personal path. What I might do is not what you might do. What I might do might occur much later than you might do it. So we have to give people latitude to make their own personal decisions. Plus, we always feel much better about it when it's our decision, not when somebody directs me to do something. That's so important. Thank you, Nancy. And I think something really big that you said is just to create that safe space for people to realize that people are reaching out because they care. Um, I think 
for employers, it's one thing to be able to recognize the red flags, but when it comes time to reach out, I think that's where you hit that block of discomfort. And so just to do it with an open heart and to let people know that you're there for them and you care for them and um, you're reaching out from a place of love, I think that would make people feel a lot more um, open to sharing as opposed to attacked. And I know that there's some myths and it is my hope that this doesn't happen to a lot of people, but when people open up about domestic violence and people say, well, why don't you just leave? You know, if it's so bad, why don't you leave? Um, I And I feel like that might close people off and they never share it again. And so I think that approach is, you know, it has the capacity to create so much good. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Like I say, it is difficult to confide in anybody. Uh, once you say the words out loud, it's almost like a personal mandate. I mean, you've admitted something that you can no longer ignore. Um, sometimes people will minimize uh, the danger that they're really in or make excuses for the behavior that their partner has perpetrated against them. But once I say to you in confidence, you know, I feel a little afraid or my abuser is tracking my cell phone contacts or he says I can't go to the holiday party, it settles in my psyche in a way that's quite different than if I'm just kind of acting like, well, nothing is wrong and we're, you know, sailing along fine. Once I say it out loud, I can't unsay it. And then maybe uh, without your support, I'm sort of stuck and I'm sort of embarrassed. But with your support, I can experiment more. I can talk to you more about it if you're willing. I can ask you questions about it. If uh, you're willing, I can um, make contact with resources that you offer to me, and I can take some steps in preparation. I mean, people don't make this decision instantaneously. It's a process. First, I say it out loud to you. Then I think about it. Then I reevaluate it. Then I experience something new, and I am sort of tracking it. I'm charting it. Mm -hmm. And then maybe I make my first phone call. I'm not ready to do anything, but I'm willing to uh, reach out a little bit and get some information and incorporate the information I get into my decision-making. Maybe I get brave enough to talk to my coworker in addition to my supervisor, who I know is keeping it confidential, because I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed of, of what I'm experiencing, and I'm worried about your judgment about me. But if I talk to you and you're supportive and you're willing and you're leaning into it with me, I'm going to feel braver, and I'm going to feel uh, affirmed in my decision to name it, in my decision to talk about it, and in my decision to think more about it and reach out. That's the path we all have to support one another in uh, getting on so that um, survivors and island families are uh, safer and the community. I mean, safe families are at the core of a healthy community. If that's what we're striving for together— we have to uh, create the journey and the formula for a person to become free and safe. Absolutely. A mentor of mine told me a long time ago that if there's something that you can't hide anymore, paint it red and name it, put it on the table, let people know how you feel and what you're struggling with. And as long as you feel safe with this person, from there, the wheels begin turning and change can begin happening, but you have to put it on the table first. And we understand that it can take people a long time to get to that point. And so it's my hope that 
our workplaces can be a part of that change for people. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, every place really is a point of entry, and certainly the workplace is, because that is a place where I am free to experiment with some conversations, make some telephone calls that I can't make in the presence of my abuser or on my cell phone, which can be tracked, or when I'm not certain if my abuser is coming in the door in five minutes. But I've got a lunch hour, I've got a break, I've got a little bit of spare time. I can reach out and I can think about it. So that's so important. Mm-hmm. And Nancy, I know that you have a bunch of stats to share, but are there anything um, important to you that you think specifically applies to our workplace that you want to share today? Yeah, thank you. Um, 78% of human resource professionals uh, consider partner violence a workplace issue. With uh, that level of awareness, it's in the best interest of the company to create a workplace policy that's supportive. If people are aware of it, turning away from it is not going to be good for the workforce or the company or the community. So I would say with that level of awareness, lean into the recognition that there's something you can do. Um, 74% of victims report that they are harassed at work by their abuser. That's also a very high percentage. That goes back to my earlier observations that maybe abusers are calling a lot, showing up um, unannounced, all those things. Victims are aware that they're being um, followed and stalked and harassed. And if I'm aware of it, you should be aware of it as my uh, employer. Um, The annual cost of lost productivity is exorbitant. It's over 8 million paid workdays lost per year and almost $800 million um, lost in the response of absenteeism, um, recruitment, uh, loss of work time. So not only is it a nice thing to do, It's an important thing to do for businesses who are looking at their bottom line and their, and their margins. Um, that may not be the best motivation from our point of view, but it's an important, um, catalyst for communities. Uh, everybody's approaching the problem of domestic violence in a different way. Uh, some is safety. Uh, of course, everybody is concerned about safety, but the, the profit margin is also important for us, uh, to consider as a, as a community. So we want to take into consideration um, the cost, the risk, um, and the well-being of our, of our workforce. Um, these days when recruitment and retention is such a huge challenge for employers across the spectrum, whatever we can do to make our workplace uh, supportive and safe uh, is going to be in everybody's best interest. Uh, when corporate leaders were um, uh, asked of them said they were personally aware of a specific employee who was suffering uh, the harm of abuse in their workforce. So great minds and great investments by business will make a huge difference uh, in this community. Thank you, Nancy. And I know earlier we talked about how it's our hope, our shared hope, that this is just the start of conversations. And I think you bring up something really important where we're all on different paths in our journey, but whether we are somebody who's completely new to learning about it, to whether you're experiencing it, whether you're an employer, 
what next step can we take to step a little more into this space and be more mindful of our people is so that that's my hope and i hope that this conversation is a wonderful way to get folks um thinking about how they can do that so thank you me too and i know that we can talk about this forever yes we could um, but to to close things out if there is anybody listening who is ready to get resources or help right now what can they do or what numbers can they call or what websites can they visit um, confidentially, they can call any one of the community's domestic violence programs, the Domestic Violence Action Center, uh, 531-3771, Child and Family Service, 841-0822, Parents and Children Together. I don't have that number memorized, but it's easy to find. Uh, the, these three agencies have, um, very well-developed and accessible domestic violence support programs, different kinds of programs. Not everybody wants to go to a shelter. Maybe somebody needs legal assistance. Uh, maybe everybody could benefit from a safety plan. All of our domestic violence programs help people think through a safety plan. It's hard to know what to do when you're in crisis, but if you've thought it through, you can get yourself situated so that when a crisis occurs, you're ready to do something. So make a telephone call. You can do that anonymously, confidentially. You can get some information. You're not required to do anything unless you decide you want to do it. Thank you so much, Nancy. And finally, to close things out, I would be remiss to not congratulate you on your Career Achievement oh, Award nice. that you recently got, which I think speaks so highly to the importance of the work that you do and the importance of the impact that you have on this community. And so I think that it's a wonderful way to you know, start these conversations, especially with you. Um, because you are creating so much amazing change in this community. So oh, thank you. so nice. Thank you so much. I was really uplifted when I was, when I received the call. And we were in the audience too, and it was just wonderful to, you gave a wonderful speech, but oh, it was you. just so uplifting to learn more about the work that you do. So yeah. thank you. It's been very fulfilling. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Voice of Business podcast from the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii presented by Altris. Join us next week for another conversation as we continue our talks on mental health awareness and celebration of Mental Health Awareness Month.